things I think that we're going to see from our text this morning is the idea of being holy because God is holy, being sanctified because God has sanctified and set us apart. And so I thought before we get started this morning that I would lay out the definition of sanctification because within his God-breathed word, we do, brethren, indeed see uh, this sacred doctrine of sanctification. And interlaced within the doctrine of sanctification, there are three very distinct and discernible, if you will, stages in which each member of the Godhead is uniquely involved. And again, brother, this is the thing, right? When you hear the word sanctification, it just you, you hear this word, and yet we see within Holy Scripture, within the doctrine itself, these, these three stages, if you will, is the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son are working these things out. First of all, we find within the realm of sanctification something the Bible would call and we would call positional sanctification. This takes place when one believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an immediate thing. It's a one-time thing that we see within Scripture. Positional sanctification. Again, as I said, when, when one is born from above, when God the Father draws him, amen, the Holy Spirit then sets them apart. He removes the sin from them. He sets us apart and he positions us within the Lord Jesus Christ. That is positional sanctification. It is a one-time thing that takes place. It's really quite a stunning thing when you consider this. Thereby, brethren, the believing one, and don't we always say this, we believe that everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. The whosoever will believe, we, we believe that. And so every believing one then is now viewed as holy. Think of this for a moment, brother. And again, this one-time thing that takes place. It's justification really mixed in with this one-time event of sanctification, being positionally placed within Christ. We're set apart because of our position in Christ. And I want you to see this again as we're laying out definitionally what we mean. Turn with me in your Bibles of 1 Peter. I want you to see this again, this idea of an immediate sanctification. A one-time work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as they are in perfect, as we always say, unity, they're in perfect harmony, the liberals will use their word, perfect harmony with one another always, in all matters, in all things. And especially we see this unfold here in First Peter. Look there, if you would, just definitionally as we, First Peter chapter 1, and again, verses 1 and 2, a very familiar uh, portion of scripture to us. I want you to see this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So again, we see the working of the Father here, the Trinity of God working in his purpose in the setting apart, in the sanctifying of those who believe. Secondly, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through what? sanctification of who? The Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. It's the Father, it's the Spirit, it's the Son, all working together, sanctifying that one time, if you will, event in the believer's life, setting them apart from their sin and unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Look as you finish, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So again, you see them working together in the idea here of sanctification, being set apart, taken out of the world and having your sins removed and being imputed with the righteousness of Christ and 
being positioned in him. This is what positional sanctification is. It is, brethren, a one-time event that takes place. That word sanctification there literally means a state of purity. Brethren, can I ask you something? Are we as Christians this morning who live in the flesh and battle in the spirit, are we pure? We are not. That's what he, Peter is saying here. This word literally means a state of purity. That's what happens when we are sanctified, justified immediately before God. Secondly, we see this morning in the Bible, there's something called progressive sanctification, brother. This is it. Whereby the one who has been set possessionally set apart is increasingly more and more and more being conformed into the image of who? Into the image of who, brethren? So let's read this this morning. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. As we see here again, this you're going to ask, well, which one are we studying this morning? It's this one. It's progressive sanctification and what the Spirit does. And that's why it's so important as we hear the Word, as we listen to the Word, as we read the Word, that the Holy Ghost implies and applies that to our hearts, brethren. It's the only way that we will continue to mature in the faith. Look at verse number 1, keeping in mind more and more. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, we call you near, we ask with urgency, Paul says, not once but twice in our text, we call you near, brethren, and exhort you, we looked at that, by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received us on how ye ought to walk to please God, so ye would be, what? Ye would abound, what? More and more. Look at verse number 10. Again, we see the progressiveness here. When one is born again, you don't stay there. How many times in Scripture? We could take you to Hebrews chapter 5 and several portions of Scripture where the author of Hebrews is on the brethren. Why? Because they're not progressing. They are not growing in the Lord in their faith and their knowledge. He says to them, well, you should be eating meat by now. But brethren, because you're not progressively being sanctified and learning and growing in the knowledge of the Lord, i got to feed you what? i got to give you a little milk. And many of our Puritan brothers, I wish I could remember the quote, but one of them said, said this, it is a shame in the church for a man or a woman to be seating in the, seated in the church for years and not be progressed along as they ought to be. There's something wrong with you. In fact, that's part of what it says there. If you're sitting in the church and have been studying your Bible and have been worshiping the Lord for years and you're still in the same place, you've got to check yourself and say, why am I not growing? Just think if Seth was born. And we've got some newborn babies in here. Amazing. We just talked about this. Four babies we've had, amen, or five, whatever it is, you brother just keep, uh, how can I say this, just keep having them, just keep, just keep replenishing the earth, the church is going to grow one way or the other, brethren, from within or without, but just think now, brethren, if one of these dear children whom the Lord has certainly gifted to these parents, and those of us who've had children, they come out, they're real small and little, imagine if they stayed like that, you would go immediately, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Why, why are these children, why is Seth still, you know, 42 inches long? Well, let's back that up. Why is he still 16 inches long? He's, he's almost what? How old are you, Seth? Almost 13. 12. 12. Oof. This is what happens when you... <laughs> but, you know, Brother Keith and Brother Josiah and 
all their brothers that are having all these children, Hannah, and these, it, just think of that. They look at their babies and go, there's something wrong. Paul is saying here that the work of God then naturally would progress you in the faith. And this is what we see. Verse number 10, look there if you would. And indeed ye do it toward all brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase what? More and more. So again, what we're going to be examining, brethren, this is what has caused me to examine in my own life. Again, this is what this text does to you. It makes you look at the scriptures and it makes you examine your own life. Am I progressing? Am I being sanctified progressively? Am I being growing in the Lord? Am I moving from one level of the Lord to another by the grace of God and by his Holy Spirit? Even 30 some odd years I started using that terminology too now, 30 some odd years, so I don't tell everybody really how old I am. We were, <clears throat> think of this, brethren, for just a moment. Can I just sidetrack? Can I go down a rabbit hole for a second? Wendy and I on Friday, just think, 34 years. She's been married to me for 34 years, known me for, what, 35. What an amazing thing. And it's gone like that. It's just stunning how it's gone. It's just gone. And you know what? In our relationship, if you went and asked her today, has Mike arrived? Has he been progressing in his husband duties and his fatherly duties and in, in, his, in his, his guiding duties? She would probably say, well, he's, he's here, but we need to grow. It never stops, brethren. We talked about it in Bible study this morning. You know, hey, Pastor Mike, have you read the Gospel of Thomas? Have you read these other things outside the Bible? There's, brethren, not that they don't have value and historical value, but it isn't going to help me when it comes to my spiritual growth, the things that are in the Scripture. There's so many that, oh, you could just start in Matthew chapter 1 and begin. And you'd be busy, 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 busy growing in the Lord. Amen? This is what Paul is saying. There is more and more and more. Thirdly, this morning. There is indeed this sanctification, I think, that if you are a child of God, that we all yearn for. It's something that we are looking forward to, and it would be something called perfected sanctification. Perfected sanctification. And when does that happen? (laughs) Again, I ask you, did you get up this morning and struggle with your flesh? We are not in a perfected state of, of, of sanctification. But we will be. And we will experience this morning, if you are a child of God, there's going to come a day when you are ushered into the presence of a holy God. And you will indeed be perfected in your sanctification. There will be no remnants of sin. There will be no remnants of those things of the fall. There will be none of that. You will indeed be in a perfected state. A perfected state of sanctification, which is so important. In fact, Paul mentions it to the brothers here in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 5. Again, look at chapter 5. Look at verse there, 23 there, if you would. After giving them a long list, 19 imperative commands, He says this, and the very God of peace, what? Sanctify. Sanctify what? You holy. Not just in the flesh, but in the spirit and in your inner man. This is the holiness. This is when we will experience. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This again, brethren, is when one will experience the thing that we yearn for. As a child of God, you should yearn for it because we know we're sinners and we sin against God and it breaks our heart. It should. And yet we battle, we struggle, 
We fight with it, but the day is coming, brethren, when that will all be set aside by God himself. Amen. Can I get an amen this morning? Yes. Amen. What a war. What a battle. Told the brethren this morning, I'm getting weary. <laughs> I'm getting weary, and I'm looking forward to it. So we begin, brethren, this morning in our text, not in the usual way, in verse number 1. Kind of like when I preached through 1 John. Remember, we didn't start in chapter 1. We went to chapter 5. And here, it is no different. We're not going to start in chapter 1. I want us, our attention to be drawn to verse number 7. Because verse number 7 is indeed the bedrock in which what Paul is about to say and what he says after verse number 7, that is all anchored in. It is because of what verse 7 says. It's like, here's pre, here's post, but it's all anchored in verse number 7. So look at verse number 7 there, if you would. Look what the Bible says. First Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse number 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto what? Holiness. The bedrock of our text centers right here in verse number 7. You and I both know that we cannot let go of our uncleanness and we cannot be holy apart from what? The holy call of God. The holy working of God in our own hearts. So Paul begins here by reminding the brethren in verse 7 that it was God himself who called them. And brethren, it's good for us to be reminded. It is God who called us. That God has called them and every true believer not to uncleanness. Let me define that because, again, the uncleanness is in the preceding verses. The, the holiness is in the proceeding verses. This is unclean. This is holy. Uncleanness means foulness, dirtiness, filthiness, which Paul defines for us in verses 3 through 6. But rather, he says, unto holiness. So it's a directional. What would we call that, brother? Just again, I wish it was Wednesday night, I'd ask you. When God says, we shouldn't do this, but we should do this, it's directional. Do you understand that? Brother Keith, I always think about you. God never tells you not to do something and then leaves a void. He always fills it with what we should do. This we shouldn't do. This we should do. Those things that are unclean, brethren, we should take our hat and run from. Those things that are holy, because God is holy, those are the things that the Spirit of God should lead us and tend us to. And this is what we see here, really quite amazing. Uncleanness, foulness, dirtiness, filthiness, which Paul defines. But rather, he says, to holiness, directional, repentance, being separated to the service of God, having sanctified, listen, affections, but not perfect. But again, brother, perfection comes with perfect sanctification. We are not perfect in this life. And Paul's addressing that. The flesh, the battle, the war, the thoughts, the, uh, the intentions of the heart sometimes can be brutally evil. And it's... it's <laughs> Uh, you say, well, how do you know that, Mike? Well, because I live in my own world. All right? And people say, I always tell people, you wouldn't probably want to live in my world very long. But it is a stunning thing. Not perfect. But we should indeed, brother, and have what? Sanctified affections. But not perfect. And Paul then defines what those would be for us in verses 9 through 12. But Paul first again reminds them in us that God's call, brethren, and again, is authoritative. 
And this is really important, brother. And again, you can't have men telling you what to do. It must be authoritative. There has to be something more authoritative than Pastor Mike standing up here and telling you do's and don'ts. I want you to see the authority by which Paul then, after writing verse 7 and cleanness here, verse 7 here, uh, the, the holy things there, look at the authority. And listen, brethren, this is, again is so important. We harp on it. We preach on it. I'm a broken record on it, on the word of God. That's our authority. Look there at verse uh, number one. Look what it says. Furthermore, then we beseech you. We, again, call near. We ask in urgency, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, as ye have received of us how ye ought to what? Walk. Hmm. Now we've defined what that means. When the Bible's speaking about the Christian's walk, what is it saying? It's saying, is your life showing forth these kinds of fruits? Is this something that is not an aberration? When one sins, that should be an aberration. But is our life producing and are we walking in such a way that what? That pleases who? That pleases God. This is the second time now that Paul says, I'm doing something not to please men, but to please who? To please God. First of all, he was preaching. He's preaching the word of God back in chapter 2, not to please men, but to please God. And again, that's our audience. This is the audience that we have here in our text. Again, it is, of course, the course of one's life, the manner of how one is. is, is, is well, I'll use myself. Is Mike normally a, a godly man? Is Mike normally, when someone thinks of me, well, don't think of me. When someone uh, thinks of me, do they think of me as a, as a, in a general rule as a godly man? Or do they think of me as a worldly man? What do they think of me when they think of me? This is what we're talking about. The first thing when I think of you brothers is not evil intentions. There's not evil about you. It is, I'm going to think the best of them. And this literally is what Paul is saying. Does your life, does your life project that? Is it projecting not an evil thing, but a holy thing, a good thing? Is it pleasing unto God? You know what that word please means there? You think of the, those in the Bible. The Bible says on several occasions that some men pleased God. You know who one of them was? Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and that he pleased God and he was no more. He's one of the few men in the Bible who never experienced physical death. Because what? He walked with God. His life was such a way. Now that word pleased literally means this, brother. It means to be agreeable to Listen to me carefully. It means to be agreeable to. Yes, Lord, whatever you say. Yes, Lord, whatever you do. Yes, Lord, whatever you ask. Yes, Lord, whatever you command. That's what being at pleasing God is. That one agrees with God that whatever he says, whatever he does, whatever he asks, whatever he commands is something that you and I as believers in the Holy Spirit go, oh yeah, yep, I agree, God. I am agreeable with you. This is literally what that word means. In fact, we see Paul in verse number 2 as he helps us to understand that definition. Look at verse number 2. For ye know what? What? Commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. 
And again, brethren, this is the idea. Whatever Jesus said, whatever the Father said, we say yes. Whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you command, whatever you ask. We are in agreement with God. This is what the true child of God does. In fact, as we look at things, these commands, and once we get to chapter 5, uh, they are something called imperative commands. You know what an imperative command is? An imperative command is one where it's not an option. <laughs> you know, it's not an option. When God tells me to walk honestly amongst all men, that's not a, a multiple choice. I don't get to say to God, well, if I concur, if I don't concur, I may or may not. They are imperative commands that God has given us, which means the Spirit of God has to work in the heart of this, of this man who has a tendency, we sing that song, right? I am prone to what? Wander, Lord. Bind me with the fetters. I'm prone to wander. This is what I'm prone to. And this is what Paul is saying to the brethren. In fact, let me show you here. First John, real quick. Look at First John chapter 5. Let me just lay this out. The Apostle John here gives us such a glorious picture of divine order. And I want you to see this. There are some things that we see in our text that, again, are clear and present fruits of whether or not one is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the order here in 1 John chapter 5. And I want you to see this. This is very important. It's, uh, it's the, uh, how should we say, the order salutis of how a Christian should be progressing in the faith and those things that they should indeed be doing. Look here at verse number 1. I want you to see, first of all, the divine birth. <laughs> Again, there is none of this, brethren, without the divine birth, without God causing you to be born Again, look at verse number one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of who? God. There's a divine birth that must take place within the heart and within the mind. And then once the divine birth takes place, there's some other things then that automatically follow that along. What are they? Well, first and foremost, you're going to have a love for God. You're first going to be born again by God, because, and then that's going to produce in you a love for God. Look what it says. And everyone that loveth him, that begot, loveth him also, and that is begotten of him. This again, brethren, is something that is produced within you by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. That's why we always say, you can't love me, and I can't love you with Christ-like love without first being born from above. It's not possible. It is an impossibility. I can be fake to you. I can be, I can be all kinds of things to you. But one thing I cannot be is biblically sincere to you. In a true biblical sense of the word. So there's the divine birth, which then causes within you and I a love of God, which then causes what? Look at the third thing there. Because of the divine birth, because of our love for God, we love the people of God. You see that there? Look there if you would. The third thing that you see there in verse number 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his what? His commandments. Oh, well, there we go. I know when Brother Dean gets back, he's going to be teaching on the law. Oh, I can't wait. I am, I am absolutely revved and ready. Can I use that? Is that like today's hip terminology? I am revved and ready to hear the teaching on God's law because, brethren, it produces another thing. Not only do we love God because we're born of God, we love God and we love what? His 
word. Look at the fourth thing there that happens because of the, the divine birth. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands. Listen, and his commandments are not what? They are not grievous. Brethren, when we look at the commands of God, we're not looking at a set of rules. See, this is what people think. We think we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at these things and, and we look and we go, well, that's a set of rules. We don't live by rules. Actually, they're precepts. They're God's holy precepts that help us to stay within and healthy and wise and good. They are precepts. They are, I guess in, a, in, in, the, in the technical sense, people would look at it and go, they're a list of rules, but they are much more than that. When they're in the heart, they are precepts, and they are God's precepts, which help us understand God's view, that help us understand God's thinking. And again, brethren, please, look at this as more than just a rule that, 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 that we're looking at here. It is more than that. It is much deeper than that. If it's just a rule, I'm going to break it all the time. Aren't you? Right, children? Don't do that. It's mom and dad looking at we're just going to, it just produces in you this desire to do it. But when it's a godly precept, when you understand that it is God who said it, that's one of the things we work on with our children at home, just being open with you all. Believe it or not, the pastor's kids don't always obey him. Did, did you know this? And you know what we do when that happens? When a child does not honor their father and their mother, you want to know ultimately who they're dishonoring? It isn't the father and the mother. It's God. And when it's God who said it, and it's God's precepts and his principles, it changes everything. Suddenly I'm being obedient to God, not because it's a rule, but because I love God. Because it's his precept. It's what I need the most. And this really is what we're going to see unfold. Don't look at this, brethren, as a bunch of rules. It is, but it's much deeper to the child of God than rules. It is godly precepts and principles, and we're going to find out why it's so important that we view it this way. This text is loaded with so many glorious things as we see this thing. I like what one pastor said. He said this, Doctrine precedes duty. Precept precedes practice. Do you see that? Doctrine's good. In fact, most of Paul's letters, if you look at them, he spends the first half of them most of the time talking about theology and doctrine, and then he spends the last half of the, of the, of the book, like he does here in Thessalonians, talking about application of that doctrine. So as this pastor said, doctrine precedes duty and precept precedes practice. God's design of the Christian life is to teach us his worldview, his viewpoint, what God is thinking, what God is saying, what he's asking us to do. This again is so important as we look at this. By forming within us that viewpoint, listen again as I said, not into rules, but into godly principles and practices. Doesn't that change it? When you understand and really view what God is doing by, by sending his commandments and by us not being grieved by them, you should, you should actually put your arm around them and thank God for them because they are indeed best for us. Amen. They keep us where we ought to be. Now look back there, if you would, verse number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 3. 3, 4, 5, and 6. Again, the Lord through the inspired hand and pen of Paul, he lays out here these principles, these 
things that are not good for you and I. Look at verse number 3. And I want you to notice 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. The first seven words. For this is the will of God for you. You want to know what the will of God is for you? Well, here we have some commanded will of God. And brethren, <laughs> I mean, we don't have to guess. I mean, there's God's sovereign will. And it's interesting when you understand both of these, his commanded will, his sovereign will. It's amazing as we conclude here, you're going to see that, that one, when one follows his commanded will, his sovereign will is revealed. It's a stunning thing. Where should I work? What should I do? How many children should I have? Well, as many as you can. Amen. Just again, brother, keep plowing away. Keep doing it. Just keep going. By the time I'm dead, the church will be full, and then it'll be a glorious thing. No. When we look at the commanded will of God, you don't need to run around and say, what's the will of God for me? No, he, he, he gives it to you where? In his, in his word. Like we were talking this morning in Bible study again. Just such an interesting thing. Why would I need more? Why would I desire more? Why? Because God's word in your mind is not sufficient. Oh, I believe in the word of God, but do you believe it's sufficient? I believe in the authority, but do you believe it's sufficient? Do you believe it's enough? Where I don't need to go and look as uh, Beth Moore and a lot of these emo women do, they just need more. More of what? More of deception. More of deceivableness. More of unholiness. That's where that leads to, brethren. Look at what he says there. He says here to us, For this is the will of God, even your what? Your sanctification. Your progressive sanctification. This, as God is working on the heart of the believer, these are things that you and I should, as we're going to see, uh, we have to incorporate the Joseph theology. Can I say that? The Joseph, you know what the Joseph theology is? It's in my own mind. I, look, it's not in the Bible, okay? Pastor Mike made something up. The Joseph theology is this. That when you're dealing with these sins that are about to be mentioned, you should grab your hat and run, just like Joseph did. Oh, yes, brethren. You grab your hat and run. As fast as you can. There are some things the Bible tells us to flee from. There are some things the Bible tells us to stand and fight. This is, these are ones where we are told, whether you're male or female, to run from them. To flee from these things. Because they are so dangerous. They are so detrimental to the mind, to the heart, to the relationship within the family, the relationship amongst one another whether it's male or female, that crosses these things. It is detrimental to the family. Amen. Again, not God's rules, God's principles, his precepts to help you and I so that it doesn't occur. Look at here, verse number three. What does he say? He says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from what? Fornication. Now, I have to be very delicate in how I describe this. But I'll tell you what the word means. It's the word pornea. It is a broad word. Men, women, listen to me. 
electronics, the push of a button. It is indeed, as Paul is addressing here, which they did not have, but is a broad word referring to any and all intimate relationships outside of the covenant marriage between one man and one woman. I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you're divorced, unfortunately. I don't care if you're widowed. This applies to all of us. It is indeed a word that means we must be extremely careful concerning these things. Now, can I use this as an example? I think I can. I think I've shared this with, with most people here. About a year ago, my wife got an email on our computer. And in that email, it said, Hi, this is Johnny Joe, or whatever his name was. Hi, this is so-and-so. Uh, you should tell your husband. You should tell your husband that I have cameras, I have video of him abusing himself. Do you know what that means? Abusing yourself? Okay. And Wendy's on the phone. Do they have videos of you abusing yourself? I said, not on your life. Not a chance. You know why? Because I wasn't doing it. But you know what? They sent it out to a thousand people. And you know what? 70% of those thousand people, you know what they were doing? They were abusing themselves, thinking that this man probably has a video of them doing that. It's stunning. But when you keep and you ask the Spirit of God to keep you, because I have all kinds of funny things on my phone. My wife watches over me. Not that the Holy Spirit isn't powerful enough. But I'll tell you, when old, uh, what's I can't think of it right now, Covenant Eyes, old Covenant Eyes speaks. It says to me, you may want to check. It appears someone's looking at something that's not holy. And I check on myself, and I go look, and it's a picture of, I can't remember what it was. It was nothing unholy. But all it did was show part of the guy's shoulders. Well, a weightlifter, I think, is what it was I was looking at, or something I was looking at. And it sent it. And brethren, listen, this is what we must all flee from. You must be deeply concerned because this stuff will ensnare you faster than a bad drug will ensnare you. It will. And it will cause, again, some deep, deep troubles. Look at verse 4. Look what he says in verse number 4. Not only are we to abstain from fornication, from pornea, but also he says this, that every one of you should know how to possess his what? His vessel in what? Sanctification and honor. How do I politely do this? I'm going to talk about our bodies. You, Paul says, you keep your vessel under control. You keep it under control so that you what? You can honor God in what you do. Again, God is always the audience. He's always the one who's there watching. It's an amazing thing when you consider what he's saying here. Verse 5. Look what he says. Again, these things are ensnaring death traps to the believer. Not in lust of, what's that word, Bev? Concupiscence. Not in the lust of, yeah, I, I, we, everybody says it different. I have my Greek way of saying it. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now that word is defined biblically for us as this, an inordinate desire for unlawful pleasure, to be lewd, to be unchaste, to be lascivious. 
Do you see what he's addressing here? He's addressing those sins that brethren reside in the heart, which all of it does. But it manifests itself in such a destructive way for the believer, for the, for the Christian. Think, brethren, of all the men who have failed and failed publicly. Men who have been, uh, 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 if you will, pushed out there into the world as great godly leaders. They're laying in the sewer now. Jerry, what was his name that had that college? His son. I can't remember his name. I just lost it again now. Uh, Falwell. Jerry Falwell's son. Okay? And his wife. I don't know if you ever saw what happened to them. I can't even speak of it. It was so unholy and ungodly. But here's a man who's being presented out there as a man of God. And you know what he did? He brought the house of God much irrepute. This is what we must be careful of, brethren. Not in lasciviousness, not in being unchaste. In fact, you say, Mike, where do you get the doctrine of fleeing? Where do you get the doctrine of, of uh, uh, I'll show you, Joseph here. Look at Second Timothy. Let me show you. Chapter 2, look here what Paul says to young Timothy, a young man, a young godly man, who's he's, who's he's, who he is mentoring, who he's raising up to be a great pastor in the Lord. Look there at verse number uh, 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, what? Depart from iniquity. Oh, but in a great house there are not only uh, vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and earth and some honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be what? A vessel unto honor. What's the next word? Sanctified. Set apart from his sin. You see that there? And what? A sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The Lord uses a broken vessel, but he will not use an unholy vessel. Do you understand that? He will use because we're all broken. But if we're ensnared in this unholiness, he will indeed expose you, and he will indeed expose me. He will expose you. And he will not use you in that state. Look at what it says. Verse 22. What's that first word? Flee. Flee also useful, youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a what? Out of a pure heart. Ooh, I'll tell you, this, this, this lesson has really gotten a hold of me because there's so many, again, practical things that we can draw from it and such a great and glorious understanding of the principles and practices of God. Why is he telling me to flee? Why is he asking me not to do this? Why is he asking me and you to protect yourselves? Because you do not want to be and bring repute upon the house of God. Tell him, don't do that. Verse 6, he also says this. Look there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 6. He says this. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of these, of all, all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified to you. Don't defraud your brother. You know what that means, brethren? 
It literally means one who takes from another his right by deception or withholds what he is due, a cheat, a deceiver. Don't defraud your brother in any matter by any sort of deceit. Be truthful. Don't be a fraud. Don't defraud your brother. Now, it's interesting, again, brother, that as we, as we bring this portion of it to a close, it's noon already. As we bring this portion of this scripture to a close, again, verse 7 is really a transitional thing. It's, he has called us not to uncleanness, but to holiness. And so there's now a transition in verse 7 to verse number 8. And look what he warns, first of all, in verse number 8. Look what he says there in verse number 8. I'll read verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've been kind of watching along in the text. Here we are, Paul warns them. This is a stern warning and command. Do not despise. But we must consider who he's speaking about as far as despising. Not man. This imperative command, again, brethren, as we consider this, it really is most interesting here. And the reality of it is, Paul here, again, doesn't mention a sin, a specific sin that they have been practicing. Remember, he never, condone, he never condemns them, not once. He never mentions a, a sin. You know what he's doing? You know what Paul is doing? Because the church is living godly, they're waiting for the Lord, they're being transformed, they're being conformed to the image of Christ, they're growing in the faith. This is a warning to them. It's good when the pastor warns. It's good for us to be warned. And this is what he's doing. He's warning them. He's literally saying unto them, these things are important. His warning is meant to prevent their sin rather than rebuke it, especially in light of the prevailing perverse society that they're living in. Do we live in a perverse society, brother? And I, I think we've maybe surpassed, well, I know Sodom, and we're rearing right up on Gomorrah, and we're going to be soon right behind the other cities that were there. We live in a perverse society. Paul's warning them, just like I'm warning you and warning myself this morning, to flee these things. Now, Paul again here reminds them whose authority they're under, not man's, but God's. They would be, listen, scorning. That word despise means to scorn. It means to, uh, if you will, have a, the lowest opinion of. It means that here we see they're despising not just God, they're not disdaining just God. They don't have just the lowest opinion of just God the Father. They also have an, the lowest opinion of the Trinity of God. You saw it in our text there, didn't you? Jesus is mentioned, the Father's mentioned, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So he's saying, not only you're not just despising the Father. Look at verse 2. Again, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. There's the Son. Look down in verse number 8. He just laid it out. He said, He, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, God the Father, who hath also given us His what? His Holy Spirit. So not only are you despising the commands of Christ, you are indeed despising the Trinity of God. When we despise, we disagree with God the Father. Remember earlier, to please God is to what? Be in agreement with the Father. When we despise Him, 
and despise his commands. We are despising God the Father. We are saying we don't agree with you, God. Now, unfortunately for some of us, that's more often than not. But listen, when we despise, we disagree with God the Father. We grieve God the Holy Ghost who lives in us, and we reject the commands of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. So, again, as the Trinity of God is working on you, as he's giving you, making you, and causing you in progressive sanctification, those three are in perfect harmony, perfectly working together, perfectly working out your salvation. Perfectly working out your Progressive sanctification. It's quite interesting. Now, let me... I don't want to quickly do this, but I don't want to leave us here again. God said, don't do this. I want you to see quickly as we examine verses 9 through 12 what we are to do. This is what we are to do. Look at verse number 9. Let's just read that. Verse number 9, the Bible says this. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not to write, uh, need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to what? To love one another. How are we taught? Well, we looked at it in 1 John chapter 5. We're taught of God because we're born again of God, because we love God, we love his words, and therefore we should love one another. This is, brethren, what we must uh, try and, uh, if you will, absorb, that the Spirit of God will help us to absorb the depth of this. And then he says this in verse 10, And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, there he is calling them again, just like he did in verse 1, calling them near, calling with urgency. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye what? You increase more and more. There again is that progressive sanctification that one is supposed to be, the Spirit of God is working on us. As you get to know me more, and I get to know you more, you know what that means? We better more and more love one another. <laughs> because what you're going to see is my faults. You're going to see my failings. You're going to see how I'm bent in certain things. And you know what you're going to have to do? Like I have to do to you, I have to love you anyway. And not just love you, but I have to increase it in more and more as I know you more and more. So often today, brethren, and again, this is just... I don't know. I told the brothers this morning, I'm just wore out from it. Instead of when brothers and sisters don't always have an agreement, instead of just leaving and saying, I'm done with it all, can't we just work it out the godly way? Can't we just love one another more and more? And can't we look past some of our faults because you've got them and I have them? This is part of our progressive sanctification, that you would look at me and you would indeed love me more and more, because you're going to have to. You're going to need to, just like I'm going to need with you to love you more and more. This, again, is the progression that we see. And, brethren, it's only done by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. This would be a good one for America. <laughs> and that you study to be quiet. Do your own business. <laughs> Why don't you study, be quiet, do your own business instead of worrying about everybody else's business. And work with your own hands as we commanded you. What did Paul say? Again, we sound, we were talking about again in Bible study this morning, it was fundamentalists. You fundamentalists are mean. You're just not very nice people because you actually believe what Paul wrote. If a man who is able won't work, he should not eat. No, he should not. 
That's what Paul said. Paul says, I commanded you. You know what I said. If a man won't work, he will not eat. Now, if a man can't work, if a man is in such a state that he cannot work, then we have a whole other responsibility, don't we? Yep, we do. We have a responsibility to care for them, to care for their family. See how the spirit, he just, it's just a progression of things. And it's hard, brethren, because <laughs> we're Americans totally absorbed in ourselves, totally absorbed in what we have instead of what others need. And may God, again, this is something practical for me as a believer. May he grant unto me that, that I am more compassionate in those, in those ways. <laughs> we, we drive down the road. I'm almost afraid to admit this, but it's a, it's a, it's a lesson. We drive down the road and we see some dude pushing a shopping cart and he's got like a thing over his shoulder and he's just pushing along and he's going like this. And I look at my children and I say, what is that? What do you guys say? It's a long series of lifelong bad choices. Because sometimes people do that and you get what you sow. Other times, the brother needs help. And we should indeed not be so absorbed in our own self, that we wouldn't be willing to sacrifice of ourselves for them. Amen? You see how hard that is as Americans? <laughs> it really, really is an amazing thing. And finally, brother, in verse 12, as we bring this to a close, there's that word again, that ye may walk, that your life, the course of your life, looks like this. That how one, when one thinks of you, do they think of you as being honest? Look what he says. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that they may have lack, or that ye may have lack of nothing. Do you see how when we look at not these things as rules, but as basic principles of God, practical holiness, progressive sanctification, living them out. Did you catch that in the last verse? You will lack what? Nothing. Do you see? It's the opposite of what we think. We think if we feed ourselves and give ourselves and feed ourselves and feed ourselves, we're not going to lack anything. You know what you do? You just want more. As Rockefeller once said, John D. Rockefeller once said, when the reporter asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, the wealthiest man in the world at that time, had more money than 10 people put together. They asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, when is enough enough? And he said, just a little bit more. It's never enough. If we do this, if we, the Spirit of God applies these, not rules, principles and practices in our life, the Bible says we will lack what? Nothing. We will be fulfilled spiritually. We will see in us a growth from this point to that point. We will see that the giving of ourselves is way more and way more valuable than the taking of ourselves. It really is the opposite of what the world teaches us. Get what you can. Get all you can. Defraud for it. Do whatever you're going to do. Put yourself in compromising positions. Be unholy spiritually within your abusing life. And you will indeed be in trouble. If we practice what we preach. And again, brethren, that is by the Holy Spirit of God. Let me close. The Bible calls one holy. Listen, 
when their heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God. Remember, we're not perfect because we haven't reached that point in sanctification. But there should be some kind of an image, although not perfect. We should look like God to a degree in the way we live, in the way we walk. Practically speaking, when I look at my children and your children, you know what I see? A whole bunch of mini-me's. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Oh, my, Howard, still to this day, I'll never forget, brother. Never met your dad. Never seen him a day in my life. And I walked into the hospital room with Howard, and I looked at Howard's dad, and I looked at Howard, and I said, that is definitely your father. I look at Manoa. <laughs> you know who I see? Brother Dean. I look over here at your guys' family as well, little Charlie. There's an image there. There's a likeness there. Your child's going to be kind of in your image. He's going to act like you. He's going to watch you. He's going to want to be like you. Isn't that what Paul's saying we should be? If we're stamped in the image of Christ, we should look like him. His image should be stamped upon us so that when people look at us and they see us, they say, that is a child of God. Because we, in a very small way, act like him. We look like him. His image has been stamped. And that's really important, brother, in a world that we live in today, especially with the easy believism and all that stuff. We should have some attributes and characteristics like our children have of us. Let me just close. In the past, God granted unto you and I justification, a once and for all Positional sanctification. Aren't you thankful this morning? I'm so grateful the Lord is placed, if you're in Christ, that you're there. That's positional sanctification. It's a beautiful thing. In the present, as we are living this out, He is indeed guiding us to maturity. He's moving us along. He's sanctifying us in a progressive kind of sanctification. And finally, brethren, in the future which probably isn't too far down the road. God will indeed give us glorification, a permanent, perfected sanctification. This really is what Paul is teaching us in this portion of Scripture. Because again, as we move on, Lord willing, next week, he's saying all of this because someone's coming. You know who's coming? The Lord Jesus Christ is on his way. The next verse is on. You know who's coming. The Lord Jesus is coming. And when he comes, may he find you and I in his image to a degree. Living like him, being like him, sounding like him, being a fundamentalist like him. Amen? May he grant that to us. Let's, let's pray. Father, we 
We thank you for your graciousness to us. We, as Christians, we experience it over and over again. As you are busy working, the Spirit of God is busy transforming us into the image of Christ. That which is seemingly okay in our life today will not be tomorrow. And that is a good and glorious thing. It means that you are indeed pressing these things out of us. That by the Spirit of God as he lives in us, that we grieve him and we may not be aware of it now, but it's going to come because you are indeed progressively sanctifying us. As the world looks at us, We shouldn't look like them. We shouldn't talk like them and smell like them and be like them at all. We should be like Christ. As he stamped his image upon us, we should have his likeness. We should have his attributes. We should have some of his characteristics. Of course, not in a perfect way, but again, we can just apply it to our own lives. We look at our children, we see us in them. Because our image has been stamped in them and they, they act like us. They want to be like us. And the Christian should be the same. Father, it is our prayer as Paul beseeched the brethren not once but twice. He called them near with much urgency. Oh, Father, each of us prays this thing for ourselves. That you would indeed, by your grace and the power of the Spirit of God who lives in us, that you would continue to progressively sanctify us, take away those things that are unholy, and then, as Paul did here in our text, don't do this, but then apply these biblical principles and practices. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll grant that unto us now. We thank you, Lord, for again your Bible, the Word of God, which is our authority, the words that you said, the words that Jesus said, the words that all of the The men of old who were carried by the Holy Spirit wrote, 